Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week is the first in a new series of podcasts, our career pods, aimed at helping trainees apply to and interview for different grid subspecialties. So if you're planning to apply this year, or even if you're earlier in your training and just wanted some more information on what different subspecialties have to offer, have a listen in now. To kick things off, our first episode is about paediatric emergency medicine, or PEM. I'm joined today by Michael Fox, one of the PEM grid trainees currently working in Wales, and by Hannah Murch, a PEM consultant based in the University Hospital of Wales. We discussed what drew Michael into PEM and how to improve your grid application with an aim to get shortlisted for an interview. Anyway, let's get started. Um, so, um, hi everyone. I'm here with two fantastic people, two of my favourite people ever. Um, <laughs> Hannah Murch, uh, who's one of the um, PEDS ED consultants down in the University Hospital of Wales. Hi, Hannah. Hello, hello. Did I pay you to say that? Uh, no. Oh, I'm easily bought. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then, of course, we've got uh, Michael Fox, who's one of our PEM grid trainees in the University Hospital of Wales. Hi, Michael. Hi, Ashen. Thanks for that introduction. Well, I think it's well-deserved from you both. So what we're hoping to chat about today is a bit about um, applying to PEM and, and PEM interviews. But I thought it'd be really nice to get to know the both of you, both of you first. So can I start with you, Michael, as I've got you on, um, on your own home computer. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your career in medicine today, you know, where you studied, what you did, and, and um, where, how, where you got to where you are now? Sure. So uh, I did my undergraduate medical degree in Brighton and Sussex Medical School and then moved from there to do my foundation years and uh, paediatric training in the Seven Deanery. I also did a, a clinical teaching fellowship based uh, between Bristol and Gloucester um, and that was linked to the University of Bristol Medical School. And having spent uh, most of my paediatric training in Seven, I then applied for PEM grid training and was allocated a training post in Cardiff that I started um the end of last year. And that brings you pretty much up to date with where I am now. Fab. Uh, but what was, you know, your teaching fellowship year out of interest? What was that? What was that in and what did that involve? So it was primarily an academic post. Uh, it was teaching medical undergraduates um, from years three to five from the University of Bristol Medical School, um, along with working with the Simulation Centre at uh, Gloucestershire Royal Hospital. And um, yeah, we did simulation, we did uh, seminars, clinical teaching, we did some lecturing at the University of Bristol, um, and then quite a lot of medical educational research as well. Uh, it was an absolutely fantastic year. It's the, it's the year to get CV from zero to hero. <laughs> That is a great selling point for a teaching fellow. Oh, no, it was a, it was a fantastic job. And um, they were a great bunch uh, up in Gloucester as well. Yeah, really, really good. I'd thoroughly recommend um, if you can get a, a teaching fellowship or a, a, an academic job, just something that gives you a bit of time out of full-time clinical medicine. It just gives you a bit more perspective on um, other parts of of healthcare and training and different ways of working. And you get to meet some people that you wouldn't necessarily meet if you just did clinical jobs. So yeah, I couldn't recommend it highly enough. 
Oh, brilliant. So you're a PEMGRID trainee now, so that must have meant you started your paediatric post a fair few years ago now. What, what was it that drew you into paediatrics originally? Well, interestingly, I didn't actually always want to be a paediatric doctor. Um, I actually wanted to do internal medicine, and I had applied for and um, been offered a job in core medical training. Uh, but in the process of applying for core medical training, I undertook a paediatric training post. Uh, in my F2 year and had a really great time. I realized that um, in pediatrics, you had that full breadth of um, clinical medicine, not dissimilar to general medicine in adults, but obviously within a much more uh, senior led, a much more supportive environment. And I realized that I felt that I fitted into a pediatric team far more than I was fitting into the adult teams. And I've always believed that every area of medicine is very interesting and that people choose their specialty based on where they feel they most fit in. And, uh, and that's how I felt when I did my pediatric post. Um, and I felt that strongly enough that I turned down the CMT post um, and then reapplied for pediatrics for next year. And we're really great to have you here. And thank goodness you dodged the bullet that is adult medicine. <laughs> that's what I was just thinking. It feels like a pretty good decision right now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, um, at what point did you think, um, you know, oh, do you know what I need to do is paediatric, paediatric emergency medicine? What, was, what, what drew you into that? Well, throughout paediatric training, I'd always uh, found that I most enjoyed the high acuity uh, cases and patients. And um, just by fortune, in my general paediatrics placements, especially as a registrar, uh, I ended up seeing a lot of sick patients, a lot of HDU patients, um, and spent a lot of time in recess when I was on call. And so I, from that, started to realize that um, pediatric emergency medicine was something I was interested in and hopefully played to my strengths, because I'd had quite a lot of feedback that I was good to have around in emergency situations, that I was uh, very calm and very considered, and that people really liked that. But I hadn't actually really considered about applying for PEM grid um, until quite late towards the end of phase two training. Um, and it came about after a clinical case that I had of um, uh, of a child that ended up being managed on our ward with, uh, with a major trauma. And my reflections from that case were that here was an area where I felt like I could make quite a big difference to the care of children. And I wished there were lots of things about the case that had gone differently. And so I decided that I would apply for PEMGRID in the hope that I could develop the skills in order to, to bring those to whichever department I worked in in the future and try and make sure that the things that I would have had run differently in that case uh, were different in future wherever I worked. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's really commendable that that your thoughts because uh, that your thoughts are more aligned with what is it that you know i could offer the specialty you know rather than what the specialty can offer me i mean i think it's there's always got to be both of those things i think that's really important um because you also have to uh enjoy the specialty that you're in it can't all just be you can't just be give to the specialty um and I think one of the things that I've learned from working in paediatrics is that I require uh, a certain amount of immediate feedback from the patients that I see in order to feel positive about what I'm doing at work. And at least in uh, emergency medicine, you get lots of small wins through the day. 
um, and that's quite gratifying. So it's not all just about give, 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 you know, but obviously a lot of my motivations were about finding an area of medicine where I felt I could make a difference because in terms of my satisfaction in, in the way I work, I quite like to feel that strong sense of purpose. Well, that's incredible. And I agree. It seems to, I think PEM seems to draw people who do like um, relatively fa fast gratification with the work that they're doing. You're now a year into your PEM training post. So far, what have you found to be like the um, most rewarding part of your job? Well, I think uh, there are many ways that it's what I expected insofar as it continues to be a very broad specialty with uh, a very good range of presentations that you see. Um, it's nice uh, on some days that you can be quite independent with your management and the patients that you see. Um, I still think the case mix is excellent. Um, I don't miss uh, clinics, which I used to find a bit a bit tedious, although a very important part of uh, of the system. I just didn't think clinics were particularly for me, so I haven't missed those. Um, and I still enjoy all the emergencies and working with the kids and families. Um, so I think the next thing that I really want to have a chat to the both of you about is I'm sure there are people who are listening to this at the moment who might be thinking about doing PEM but they might not have the clearest ideas to what the grid training fully involves and what other factors they'll need to think about, um, you know, in the actual, you know, training part of a, of a PEM grid post. So um, an, an open question to the both of you, um, what, what does um, the PEM training grid post look like and what does it involve? Do you want to go first with that, Michael? Yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? So, um, so PEM grid training uh, is, usually over two years, um, involves six months working in the paediatric emergency department, uh, followed by a six month paediatric intensive care rotation, uh, and then a secondment period, uh, which involves going to allied specialties in order to gain the additional skills that are required in paediatric emergency medicine that you might not otherwise gain in traditional paediatric training. So that might be additional surgical skills, spending time with ophthalmology or in dental clinics, or in fracture clinic to gain experience, especially of uh, major and minor trauma. And then there's usually a, a six month stepping up to consultant period back in the pediatric emergency department. And that's all maps to a curriculum, which is found uh, on the Kaizen uh, e-learning portfolio platform. Um, and you link your evidence from that two year period through a selection of SLEs, feedback, reflections, et cetera, very similar to the training that pediatric trainees will be familiar with. Um, and it's assessed yearly at a progression meeting, which is run nationally through the CSAC. And you continue to have an ARCP within your deanery each year as well to look at your progress. Um, and prior to completing your CCT, you still need to do a start assessment uh, that is tailored towards your grid um, and then you apply for CCT in the conventional way. That was a really so that was a really good um, summary of, of basically everything there. Did you, did you have anything to add to that Hannah? No I think there's a common bit varies between different um, uh, training centres. So some have kind of a fixed time in surgery and orthopaedics, some um, kind of just allow their trainees to kind of dictate what they need. Others I think have also some time in anaesthetics um, but it's not kind of, as long as you get the competencies you need, there's no kind of step format. It's very variable depending on what training centres have and that sort of thing. Okay, cool. Um, so um, I think 
what what we'll do is try and get into the sort of um, application process proper now. So uh, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but we are now probably less than three months from the deadline for, for grid applications. Dun, dun, dun. I know. Can you believe it? So what, what uh, should we start with you this time, Hannah? So what advice would you offer to trainees in general um, for applying for grid? Um, I would talk to PEM trainees or grid, any grid trainee that's already doing it. The kind of you almost want a, a wide range. The ones that are have just got the the PEM job. Um, so for example, someone at M Michael's level who's in their first year of PEM. Um, I'd probably speak to someone who's just coming out the other end, reaching CCT of their grid, um, and then speak to a consultant who's been doing the job a few years, just so you can kind of see what they've all done in there and kind of what experience you might need leading up to it and what's important to kind of draw out in the interview because the bet you can there's obviously lots of guidance on the rcpch website but i think the best thing to do is talk to people that have already gone through it um and it's the kind of thing that you lose memory of quite quickly so like i obviously applied for my pem grid job in 2013 and it's amazing in that time how much changes and how much you kind of forget what you needed to do so but i think having different trainees at different um, time slots is probably a good idea to try and get as much information as possible uh, that's really helpful um uh, mike did you have anything to, to add to that no i just want to echo i think it's really important to talk to as many people as possible um, be that trainees or consultants in that area um, and to remember that the training is only the two years that you do to get to be the consultant. And it's really important to have a, a good idea of what being a consultant will look like, because that's the job that you'll end up doing for a long time. Yeah, I think it's, sometimes it's quite easy, it, perhaps not, not so much in PEM, where you work quite closely with the consultants, but in other specialties, where you're much more shop floor based and you don't see much of what consultants are up to that you end up falling in love with the job you're doing at the time and not with the job you will be doing afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's also important to think about kind of life as a whole without sounding philosophical, but like obviously look at what centres do the grid that you're interested in, because it's quite a big undertaking if you, you want to do uh, a grid that's not available locally to you and therefore if you've got family or, you know, and they've got jobs. So it's just important to think my number one goal is I want to do PEM grid in Cardiff, but is my number two goal I will move to London for it? I think you just need to be quite clear from the beginning of what your boundaries are for yourself. Do you want to move for the job or do you only want the job if you can have it locally? Those sorts of things I think are really important to think about before you go into it as well. That's really helpful too. Uh, um, so, so say someone's now decided, okay, I'm going to commit and apply for this. How can a trainee sort of maximise their chances of getting shortlisted for an interview? Um, should we start with Michael this time? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I think once you've decided that you're going to apply, you first of all have to do some information gathering. So the shortlisting um criteria I, I think are published online so you can normally search the rcpch website and find uh, eligibility criteria um, and what they're looking for in the candidates and then this would be your framework to work from when you're looking at your application and um, and that's a good place to start and then i think it's worth talking to uh, consultants anyone who perhaps has had previous experience with interviews and uh, short and long listing to find out whether there's specific documents that they'd recommend looking at um, and there are plenty around 
again, mostly through the RCPCH website. And a good example for PEM is the Facing the Future Standards for Children in Emergency Care document that was um, published June 2018, because that will give you most of the, the key issues that you might want to talk about in both uh, application or interview. But there are also others, um, and that will be dependent on uh, each individual person, what their interests are, um, and how they interpret the personal specification. Oh, excellent. Thank you, Michael. Uh, um, Hannah, do you have anything to, uh, to add to that? No, I don't think so. I mean, I, th I guess in terms of scoring points in PEM, things it's important just to totally sell yourself and not forget things you've done. So um, teaching and education and um, running. So obviously you can teach locally and then think, have I then done something that's a bit more, a bit bigger than that? Have I ran my own study days? Um, so kind of just think outside the box slightly because we've we've all done stuff, but you, sometimes you forget about it, which is ridiculous. So don't just think about the teaching that you've done locally, but have you then done something for your deanery? Have you set it up for multidisciplinary? Those sorts of things um, are good for, for the application because um, it just shows different levels of, of the same thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that works into a really nice segue into what my next question was going to be anyway which is how can trainees improve their score on the application so so that would be one one good way of making sure that you kind of elaborate as much as possible on the on on the each topic and the good thing about pem is that most things you've done will probably will are applicable to pem so don't leave things out either so you know if you've done any stamp, um say quality improvement or audit projects um with nice for fever or UTI or neonates, you know, anything really can come through the front door of the emergency department. So it's really important to um, to include all of that. Um, as I said, they love teaching, presentations, publications. Obviously, people worry about all of that sort of side bit, but I wouldn't worry too much. You're talking about one or two extra marks for, for that. And, I, you know, I was someone who didn't have that, that many kind of publications and presentations at all. Um, so don't don't sweat the small stuff either. Um, Michael, did you have anything uh, to add to that? Yeah, I think that when you look at the way uh, applications are uh, long-listed and short-listed, um, there are things that you can easily change and things that you can't easily change. So things that you can't easily change, especially if you've only got a short period of time before applications, might be whether you've got a publication, whether you've got a master's degree or a PhD, because there are various uh, preset categories um, from your past training and experience that will uh, get you points on the application. But then there are also um, white space questions as part of the application, or there certainly were when I applied, that fell um, broadly into um, some categories. So they have uh, a patient and family-centered approach, management of acute pediatric and neonatal emergencies, common practical procedures, uh, quality improvement and audit, management and leadership experience, research, research experience, education, and then a statement in support of your application. And all of those are boxes that come with uh, a briefing and you write your white space and then those are scored and provide you with extra points. So even for those potential applicants who might look at the previous things they've got and think, oh, I'm not sure I'm gonna score particularly highly on those. Um, most doctors, I suspect, most pediatricians are looking at 
PEM will be able to complete these white space questions. And if they do a good job with those, we'll probably be able to score lots of points. So I wouldn't um, discourage anyone from making the application um, just because they look back at what they've done and think, oh, I don't have a PhD and I don't have loads of publications and presentations um, because that's only one part of it. I mean, that's really um, encouraging to hear from the both of you that that you don't have to be a PhD student in order to apply. Um, no, otherwise, I wouldn't have stood a chance, I said. <laughs> no, me neither. Um, <laughs> fine. So I, I suppose the last thing when it comes to applying, and I think uh, things that a lot of trainees worry about in the background, and particularly with something like PEM, where you might well never have had a job in it, and it might be impossible even locally to, to give it a try. So. Um, for you know I, I suppose that it really breaks down to two questions is is having experience in pediatric emergency medicine essential prior to applying um and whether it is or isn't are there any ways that trainees can go about to gain experience in in pediatric emergency medicine if you know if it's something they want they're considering but they want to try first before they apply um, so I don't think it's essential that you've had experience in pediatric emergency medicine beforehand in terms of the application process I think it's useful because you're doing the job for a long time, so you want to know that you like it. So I guess the ways that you could get experience are um, ask just that, you know, we're a friendly bunch. Just approach any of us and ask for taster days. Have you got any projects that I could do with you? And just get involved in that way. Obviously, if you work in a department that doesn't have any peds dedicated staff in your emergency department, just go and approach them. And another department that does, and it, I, I think wherever you work, most people would be more than happy for you to come and spend some time there um, observing or anything like that. But obviously think about all the experience you have got, because you will have been to recess, you will have seen acutely unwell children, um, you will have got called down to a trauma call. And all of those is, is very useful in kind of building building experience up. Um, so, so yeah, so I don't think it's, it's necessary but and, and it, is, it is quite difficult sometimes to gain. The other things that are really useful are kind of, uh, if you teach on APLS, all of those things are good kind of, of experience and definitely useful for your for your application process. Oh, thanks, Hannah. Uh, uh, and, and same question to you, Mike, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I agree with everything that Hannah said. And I also think it's worth remembering that if you're applying for a grid specialty post, then what you're trying to demonstrate is that you'd be a good candidate to be trained to become the specialist in pediatric emergency medicine. It's not expected that you already have all those skills uh, completely to begin with. Um, and much like Hannah said, I think, especially in general pediatrics, you're going to have plenty of access to acutely unwell children that will furnish you with many of the skills that would be required to meet the personal specification of a PEM application. Excellent. Fine. So, uh, so in summary, I suppose the answer would be it, it's in it's not in any way necessarily essential to have had PEM specific experience, but trainees might well have had experience that's very closely PEM related anyway. And even if it isn't necessary, if you can get some PEM experience or you know some taster days, that's helpful just to solidify your feelings towards it. Does that sound like an accurate summation? Yeah, I agree. Because otherwise, you're applying for a grid job that the minimum is two two years, but you're looking then at a career forever. It's quite a big deal if you've never done it at all to to kind of carry on with that. Um, so I think it'd be good to just spend some time down there because other people, I guess it's all the flip side. You know, I love PEM, but the flip side is true that some people might find 
it doesn't work for them kind of the shift pattern or the busy kind of rushness of it and it's important to explore that as well by spending time in, in the department speaking to the consultants because you might think it's for you but actually think no this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. Excellent thank you. And I think the other thing to say is that um, whilst it's I think probably great if you can get some experience in specialty before you apply um, it shouldn't stop you from applying because the key I think or one of the key skills for a, a written application or an interview is not that you've already done the specialty it's that you can take the experiences that you've gained elsewhere and uh, draw on those to apply them to the specialty to which you're trying to gain access to brilliant okay that's really helpful thank you michael um, so i suppose before we move on um did either of you have any um any final thoughts about um the the application process and things that trainees can do yeah no i don't, I don't think there's anything i think there's i mean i think there's plenty of stuff that people can do in terms of lots of resources that they can read and look at but that's probably not good to have on a podcast as just a list of things sure yeah <laughs> okay cool um well just in case they do want a list of things what are your thoughts there yeah i'd say as as part of the bare minimum i would look at download the, the personal specification for the grid posts that you're applying for um i would have a look at the uh, facing the future standards for children in emergency care settings document um I think it's worth having a good overview of the structure for the NHS and the King's Funds do quite a good summary document of that for how the NHS is funded and fits together in England, but it is different in um, Scotland and Wales. But I think that's an important part of understanding the way uh, uh, the healthcare system is put together in the UK. Um, I would recommend looking at the NHS Leadership Academy and they have some really good documents on the leadership, they have a leadership framework document that once you read it, um, I think can provide a really useful way for thinking about how you answer some of the questions um, because it's very structured um, and that's both useful, I think, at interview and when you're doing your written responses uh, to the questions that you do in the application. Um, and then I think you should have at least one or two papers that you could talk about that will have changed your practice in some way, because that uh, is quite a common question to crop up in interviews, if not grid, then um, then just in interviews in general. It's, it tends to be quite a popular question. I tell you what did come up in my interview was um, was a paper, which I can't remember now, which is why I'm really not good at quoting papers, but it was about why paediatric um, emergency medicine consultants are a good idea about like reducing um, waiting times, um, um, reducing admissions and kind of uh, increasing satisfaction from papers. Can you remember the paper, Michael? Well, I got asked an almost identical question about do, you, do I think that we need PEM consultants um, in emergency departments and I basically based my answer on the facing the future document. Oh okay so maybe it's been incorporated into that now but there is quite a lot of evidence out there why um, having paediatricians at the front door is beneficial for patients, staff, the hospital, the community um, so it's probably worth having a read through some of those papers. If you're anything like me and you forget the name of the paper as soon as just kind of talk about it in broader terms um, but it's definitely worth having a read of that sort of stuff. Brilliant, lovely. And thank you to Michael and Hannah for the fantastic advice they've given us there. Uh, both Michael and Hannah are happy to be contacted via Twitter 
You can find Hannah with the handle at HKMerch, which is spelled at H-K-M-U-R-C-H. And you can find Michael with the handle at Dr. Underscore MJ Fox. That is at D-R underscore M-J-F-O-X. We'll be bringing you their advice on interviews soon, but prior to that, we're planning to get out all the podcasts we have on applications for you, given that the deadline for that is sooner. In the meantime, thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. 